There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher, and we've got an awesome show for you. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Park Howell. Park is the founder and CEO of Park & Company, an award-winning brand and creative consultancy in Phoenix, Arizona. He's also the host of the new podcast called Business of Story, which features authors, screenwriters, makers, content marketers, and brand raconteurs who share their storytelling tips and techniques to help business leaders and communicators engage their audiences and move them to action. You can find a ton of great information on Park's website as well as businessofstory.com. Would definitely encourage you to check that out. We had a great conversation that went from the presidential election all the way to employee engagement and how whether you're the CEO of a company or just somebody who's getting started in the world, how you can craft your story and be able to articulate um, and and find your purpose and your vision. So hope you enjoy it. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me as joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Good day, sir. And joining us also on the show is Park Howell, who's going to help us move from awareness to action. Centauri, fill us in on this guy. Okay, so and you can see his official bio, but uh, Park Howell is a longtime friend and collaborator. I met Park uh, when he was the board chair of Social Venture Partners Arizona, which is where I currently work. Um, had an ad agency here in Phoenix that did a lot of amazing work around town. And then he decided to pivot and focus mostly on storytelling because he is the best at that. Um, so now he has a company that we're going to hear a little bit about. So today we're going to talk to Park about storytelling. And I wanted to ask uh, the first question of how do you think storytelling played into this most recent election? How did, well, it elected a reality TV show actor to... The highest post in the land, maybe that has something to do with it. Let's start there. He might be the best storyteller ever. Yeah, I mean, he had the most basic story ever. And it was broken down to three-act structure, setup. America used to be great. Problem. America is no longer great. Resolution. I'm going to make America great again. And that was his thing, man. He hammered that over and over and over on a second and third grade level. And America bought it. And now we have a reality TV show <laughs> actor in the White House. I just want to underscore that. Why do you think it was so successful? Because it's just the way the brain is wired for story. Uh, well, a few things. It's not just the story. He couldn't just fabricate this. I mean, look, we never have had any nominee offend so many people um, come across as a white, you know, or a white supremacist. I mean, just have almost no background in um, governments, certainly no, in the military, zero, zero background. Yeah, zero background. Um, and all he did was told stories. And why it worked is that the electorate was just so extraordinarily frustrated with where America is. And I share that same frustration, not to the point that I would vote for a gentleman like that, because I've seen them in my career. I've been in the advertising world for 30 years. And here's the thing that got me the most about him, is that I've been taken by guys like him. Not a victim, it's just, you know, when you're growing up in this kind of work, you're going to get a rich son of a gun, show up and, and you know, kiss your butt, love your work, and then refuse to pay you. 
Yeah. Had it wow. happen once or twice, wow, wow, maybe wow. three times. Not even in my own agency. I saw it happen in other agencies. And I got bit a couple times in my own agency. I can smell these guys a freaking million miles away. And I know that that's what Trump is. That's the way he rolls. Um, but what got him elected is he is brilliant at a uh, story about manipulation of the mass media. And he did it to America. And he caught him right at the just right time. Right Everyone time. was so extraordinarily frustrated. And granted, you know. They gave us Hillary, um, and Hillary was no peach. Um, she had a lot of criminal past, you know, some would suggest. She was the old way of political cronyism. Um, so we didn't really have a lot to choose from, unfortunately. And, and the better story won out. She, he had one, she had none. What do you think was the most compelling narrative that he had? Well, this is what I said over and over again. America used to be great. It's no longer great. I'm going to make America great again. Then he started backing that up. Hammering, you know, the old Brander's uh, trick of just hammering the same simple message over and over again. Crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary. So he's just connecting with people to say, look, that's the old way of doing things. That's the political cronyism. And so she spent all of her time doing what? Defending herself, playing into his narrative, giving him all the focus instead of talking about what really mattered. Even when she talked about policy, she lost people because there wasn't story around this policy. It was data, data, data. And so, you know, she just didn't connect. Um, number two, drain the swamp. So, okay, Crooked Hillary represents the old way. We're going to drain the swamp. Well, all, that, all you have to do is take a breath, take a bite out of your tuna fish sandwich and consider for a second that he can't drain the swamp because he needs all those swamp monsters to make anything happen. In, in so it's a nonsensical yeah. story, but people don't go with their rational mind. They don't make a decision on their rational mind. We all buy with our hearts and justify our purchases with our heads. Yeah. So he was just speaking to that anger and distrust and disenfranchised bunch of America, uh, and it worked. And then what's the third thing? Build a wall, build a wall, build a wall. Let's, that's his mantra to playing to all the fear uh, that Americans have of, you know, these people coming over and blowing us up and my God, a bunch of Mexicans are going to show up and take all of our, you know, land and rape our women. And, and you know, I mean, it was, it's just so nonsensical, but he hammered it home over and over and over again. The scariest thing about it is America bought it, yeah. in my opinion, my humble opinion, but they did because of his power story. He was a better storyteller. And so if you were Hillary's communication strategist, what would you have done differently? I mean, they didn't do anything. So what would you have done? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked that. My friend Randy Olson, who I had on Business of Story last week, actually got a chance to talk to James Carville um, and work with uh, Hillary's team for a while. It was narrative. She had no narrative. She had no focus. He has this process called the and but therefore. It's this another way of thinking of it. It's called rule of replacement that he actually got from um, Matt Stone and... Um, Parker, what's his name? Thank you, Trey Parker from South Park. This idea of rule of replacement when a script's not working for them, they replace ands with buts and therefores because it creates more um, conflict within the storyline that gets your attention. Well, he teaches scientists on this all around the world, and uh, he was trying to work with the Clinton group saying, you have no story here. So just getting back to something as basic as an and but and therefore that, again, uh, uh, Trump used very well. You know, used to be great, not great, make it great again. That's an and button, therefore. Um, and so, and, and if you want, have your listeners listen to the episode of Business of Story that directly followed the Sunday following the election. I was able to track down Randy the, night, the day after the election. 
he was shooting a film with NASA. He was doing some work with NASA. Um, and I got him enough time and uh, mental focus and his pissed offness all caught, captured in this great show. And he dissects it as the doctor of story that he is and explains at length of how he won it through, Trump won it through story and story structure and the kind that any business leader could use, by the way. He calls it narrative intuition. And those that have it naturally are typically really strong leaders that people follow. Those that don't have it can be taught it. He has it naturally, probably again from his years as a, as a, a reality TV show actor. <laughs> and Hillary has never had it. Right. She's never had the narrative intuition. Right. So. And so we find ourselves where we are today with yeah. President-elect Trump. So if you were in the shoes of whoever his um, PR director is going to be, would you instruct him to, to change his tune at all or just keep doing what he's doing? No, I mean, I don't think you can ever change a tune. That guy's 70, what, 70, 79 years yeah. old? I mean, so he's talking about an old dog. Yeah. No, there, no there. There. I'm hoping that he gets enough people around him that have a sensibility of saying, look, we have to be inclusive. Even if we're going to be right-wing leaning, that's cool. You know, I've got no problem with that. I'm an independent, actually. I will vote for whoever is the best person, regardless of Democrat or Republican. Um, I hope he surrounds himself with enough thoughtful people that he will actually listen to, that can guide him. So, okay, so he's got a Steve Bannon, this alt-right dude. You know, can you actually juxtapose that with an alt-left person? And, and, you know, bring together, what did Lincoln do? What was Lincoln? He had the cabinet of... of uh, rivals. Rivals, thank you. That's it. And so he went out of his way of putting people on his cabinet who disdained him, who hated him. Yeah. Because he wanted to hear their... their right, 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 right. You know, I don't think that Trump has that kind of depth, but that's what I would say. I said, man, if you're going to get communications folks in there, surround yourself with people on both sides. So you can see it. And we'll find out what his real policies are going to be. Who knows? He could have just been telling us a story to get himself elected yeah. and maybe it'd be totally different. But who knows? Um, <laughs> but it's your only hope, right? Right. And yeah. it goes to the strength of storytelling. And yeah. that's a lot of what your work is focused on is helping people to craft their own story. And, and I want to hear about that. And I, 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 I talked to Centauri about this a lot. Unfortunately, a lot of Americans are not happy with the work that they're doing. Yeah. A third of Americans are, are engaged in their work. So that leaves two-thirds. It's called 200 million people that don't like what they're doing. Um, and there's probably a lot of reasons for that. And it could be because the advertising industry has, has got them to consume too much and they've got so much debt that they're stuck working in a job that they hate. Yeah. And I'll let you respond to that potentially. But how do we take it so... You can teach a business owner to really articulate their vision and their story and then help them to make evangelists of their employees so that these folks feel like they are in a purpose-driven job and they, they feel good about their work instead of hating it. Yeah, that's, that's a lot that I dumped on you, but... Yeah, you know, no, not at all. Great question, George, and I'll, I'll even ask you guys. I mean, we've all been there. Um, when did you find yourself, when did you catch yourself for the very first time in your life, at what age were you mm. when you were living in someone else's story and not your own? When you were living to the expectations of your parents, of your friends and your family, and how uncomfortable that was. Um, you know, we've all, we all have those stories. And it, I think it's just been recently that, and it probably maybe even out of the recession, 
where the recession dumped a lot of people on their heads. Um, they either lost jobs or they just realized for the very first time they were in a dead-end job that was going to go nowhere. And they felt like maybe I'm at a point of no return. I have nothing to lose but to completely pivot and shake up my world and live into my story. Go out and really go after what I want to do and not be so fearful about what my friends and family and parents think I should be doing. I was really fortunate. I, I grew up with one of seven kids. And my mom and dad always said, hey, man, whether we understand it or not, go for it. Do whatever you want to do. Do what you want to, you know, that makes you happy. And so I did. I went and studied music composition theory. And I'm sure they're probably rolling their eyes and like, oh, my God, he's never going to make any money at that, which I never have, by the way. <laughs> um, and I also got a degree in communications. Um, and I've got, you know, brothers that I've got one who's a horse vet. And I've got one who's an you know, engineer, construction management. I've got a physical therapist. We all got to do our own things. But I just enjoyed living into my own story and I never, ever got my way. Now, I got my own way when I would find myself in jobs or at agencies that I didn't believe in the owner. I didn't believe in the work they were doing and that kind of thing. And I was there for a paycheck. Um, and so I think the, the big difference out there that is happening now is people seem to have a little bit more freedom to mm -hmm. decide what their story is and maybe a, a little bit more, some more guts to live into that because they know that no one else has got their back. You know, certainly Wall Street does not have their back, as evidenced by the recession. Certainly Washington, D.C. doesn't have their back by evidence of everything else going on. Chances are their boss maybe doesn't have their back. Um, so they've got to do it until they can find that right place. Then all of a sudden it starts working, but it's got to be their story. They've got to find the right story, create a clearing to live into it and move from there. Got it. And is there a breakdown... Do you find that most people identify that story as, as professional or is it their hobbies? Is it a little bit of everything? <laughs> you know, another great question. Having done my podcast, I've just recorded my 70th episode, so I get a chance to talk Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's just been amazing. And, and doing that, as you guys will find in your new you know, amazing endeavor here, is that you will get a chance to talk to some really incredible people that will blow your minds. Me, not one of them. You know, we're here because Sertari does me really well. And he's drinking my beer, by the way. So. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Jen Grisanti was on our show. And Jen uh, grew up in the Hollywood business. She was uh, worked for Aaron Spelling as oh, his wow. scripts, primary scripts, coaches, consultant, script director. Anyway, any of the shows that he was doing, the scripts would come through her and her department. She wouldn't write them, but she knew what was a good and what wasn't such a great story. Worked with him for 15 years, then left the company. She went has now since um, has a quite a nice consultancy over in Hollywood, and she works with screenwriters, helping them you know hone their craft. She I think works at NBC and puts on an annual screenwriting conference there. But she's also got this great book um, uh, called uh, Your Story, Change Your Story, Change Your Life. And um, she said something that has always really hung with me to get to your point, George. Where does this come from on the personal side or the professional side? And she said, you know, you have to let your personal passions propel your professional pursuits. I know there's a lot of P's there. Um, but it's alliteration. It starts, yeah, it starts with that personal passion. And you think about it, anything you've, any of us have ever really enjoyed has always started outside the office. It's something that we just are really passionate about, think about drive us, and then we find jobs, the, the, the really fortunate ones of us, find jobs that then we can practice that. So, you know, you had mentioned I used to have an agency, I had an agency for 20 years, and I pivoted out at the beginning of this year because 
I wasn't having fun being that ad agency owner anymore. That wasn't my story. I lived that story for five years in not a very happy way. And I just finally woke up about this time last year and said, I'm not going to live this story anymore. I'm going to change this new story to now work with brands. So I haven't completely pivoted out of the business. It's just how I approach the business. So still doing a lot of work in brand strategy, brand story development. Um, but what came of that when my first focus was just on the entity was actually the power that it imbued into the leadership sitting around the table as we were doing their brand story development. And then had that um, uh, percolate, if for lack of a better term, into their employees. And that's when I had a big aha moment. This isn't just about brand strategy, but this is actually about helping people from the C-suite on down to live into a story. And you know what? When you finalize that brand story, and if you're an employee for that brand and you hear that story and it's not your story, they vote themselves off the island. Mm -hmm. Rightly so. They should. For the interest of the enterprise, but even more importantly, for the interest of their soul. To go and find something that's really going to work for you. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm doing now. Instead of just doing a bunch of advertising out there, it's really finding the heart and soul of a brand through their story and then making sure that their internal audiences are bought in that story. So that you're creating stories to grow your enterprise and more importantly, to grow your people. So you engage with a lot of organizations and businesses worldwide. Who, or rather, what have you seen as a really good story internally to employees? What really keeps people engaged? What keeps, um, you know, it, you hear this all the time. It's kind of trite, but it really comes down to doing something that's bigger than you are. So that you have a mission beyond just making money, but you're actually helping people. And when you help people, the money just tends to follow. A great example is, you know, Avine Tafoya, CEO yeah, yeah. of Adelante Healthcare. Oh, brilliant. Adelante. You are. That's right. I forgot about that. You know, a brilliant, brilliant lady. Um, she came to us in 2010 to help them revamp their brand story around Clinica Adelante at the time. That 30-year-old uh, healthcare uh, um, community health center. So right. their whole mission was to make really great healthcare available regardless of your ability to pay. But things in the market had conspired against them and they wanted to still honor that legacy, but they knew they couldn't do it the old fashioned, their old business model way. They had to figure out how could we attract um, insured patients into a free clinic, which you would just assume don't have the best doctors because it's a free clinic, so that we could use that income to drive our mission of making this available to everyone. And we worked with her to find this new brand story, Adelante Sustainable Healthcare, sustaining the availability of healthcare as an honor to their, you know, to their legacy, sustaining individual healthcare for uh, individual people by having this comprehensive group of amazing doctors so that you, you know, wanna go there. And then finally, sustaining the health of the community starting with themselves. So I think what is, what are they, they now have four lead certified four clinics, I think. Um, she, Levine, is tapped to travel the world talking about sustainability and healthcare. They have something like 300% growth in the last five years. Insane, yeah. She told me, she goes, we don't even do advertising or, or any sort of PR because we can't control the growth we're already having. That is a lady that demonstrates how when you create a story that is bigger than the entity, um, that you will have this amazing growth. And all you got to do is take a look at that case study. And she's, she's the living example of it. She's just wonderful. Well, it's certainly a success story for you. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. it, it was fun. I mean, that's, that's when I really realized 
if I don't ever have to design another website again in my life, I'll be a happy camper. Uh, but to be able to work with the likes of an Aveen Tafoya, to be able to help them find that story and that guiding star, to, and then help them create those stories to get their people to live into, that's what I'm about these days. So yeah. using the advertising biz as a background, but really about the business of story moving forward. And that, 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 that sounds to me like really using your powers for good, not to say that a lot of the, what... The way that we view advertising as it's it's manipulating people mm-hmm. to buy things, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. People want and seek a purpose-driven life, and if we have the ability as an employer to give that to them, what what a wonderful gift! Yeah. So equipping people to actually articulate their vision because that's hard to do, right? <coughs> mm-hmm. Especially for that visionary entrepreneurial kind of a person to actually take the time to put what you have in your head um, in, into words and then to be able to transfer that passion onto other people. Um, I think that's, that's, that's really a, a blessing. And George, what I would often um, say is kind of this line that popped in my head the other day. I was talking to somebody and it, it ultimately comes down to nobody will buy your story until you own it first. So you have to, whether it's a personal brand or it's a business brand, you have to have that story so clearly focused, authentic, of course, and honest to who you are and what you're about to the point that you own it. Then and only then are you going to really see this kind of traction in getting people to buy into that story. Whether you're selling sustainability, a nonprofit movement, a tennis shoe, a personal influence, it, it just doesn't matter. You've got to own it first. It really doesn't matter what it is. You look at the... The companies who really have evangelists, I think Starbucks probably comes to mind, right? And they're selling coffee. Coffee bean people aren't quite as excited about it, right? But Starbucks folks are. Right. So, and you you touched on that being able to pursue your passion and the fortunate ones are are, are truly those that, that, that get to do it. And it's true that not everybody is going to become an entrepreneur and find a company in the field that they're passionate about. But that doesn't mean that the majority of Americans can't feel really good about the work that they're doing right. and, and, and yeah. feel that it is purposeful. Um, and I think that that's such an important thing to, to be able to do. So, There's a company up in Quebec. Uh, called Autopateur. So pardon my French because I know I just... Sounds like you nailed it. But that's about (laughs) it. That's pretty good. Um, And here's a really good example of that, George. These guys have this proven business model and what they do is they they sell cars to subprime candidates, people who have bad credit, no credit, poor credit. And a lot of times they told me it's not their fault. They had a divorce, they had a health issue, the recession wiped them out. They made a couple bad decisions and they lost their home, their business or whatever. And so these are really good people, you know, um, falling on hard times and they've been riding the bus. And so finally they've put together enough money and they paid off enough bills that they can probably get a car. And there's certainly a lot of predatory car dealerships used car dealers out there that would go after them um, because they're going to make their money on that in, that, that, that loan because they know they can probably charge in 16, 17, 18, 20% because um, they can't find that anywhere else. So they're going to make bank on this. So predatory. Well, these guys come in and I just think it's so fascinating. He says, you know what we actually do is we help people come in before we sell them a car. They only want to come to get a car because they want the freedom of their transportation and some dignity back that I can now drive myself again. Totally get that. 
Uh, but we don't sell them a car until they go through our three-hour financial planning program. It's totally free to them, but they have to do it. It's a prereq. We first show them, here's your credit report, and here's what it means, and here's how you need to start fixing it. Number two, then they look at their personal finances. we got to see what your financial you know, bear, bearing is so that we can understand what your budget is. And if you don't have a budget, we're going to actually help you put a budget together. Number three... Until we do that, we don't even know what car to sell you because we're only going to loan you so much in a monthly payment towards this car because our, our whole goal is that you make every single payment for two years because in Canada, apparently, that's the threshold to fix your credit so that you can come back here or you can go anywhere and buy a brand new car. So our job is to not only get you in a car, but get you in a car that you can afford, pay for, and repair your credit. So to me, that is a used car dealership, you know, that most of them, you know, predatory practices on that subprime market that is doing a much bigger thing. We're actually here to help you repair your credit. Oh, and you get to drive a car. So they've had amazing success with this. And they're starting to see some competition come into their market. So they wanted to get their brand story straight. So we went through the whole process with them. And what it ultimately came down to, you think about it, it was like a no-brainer. But we arrived at it after deciphering all this stuff. Auto Couture is the place you go. It's your vehicle to financial freedom. That's nice. awesome. They show up for the car. Very nice. But really what this company is about is, no, we are here to help them repair their credit. We just happen to be in the car business in order to do that. To me... That is where business, I think, really important businesses are going. They're using that. You know, I just talked to the guy from 1-800-JUNK, started this company from nothing. It's like a $300 million operation. You know how we describe this company? We're a leadership company that happens to take care of junk, to handle mm. junk. But we're a leadership company, first and foremost. And he goes out of his way. His name's Brian Scudamore, um, to make sure that the people that he brings into his organization, he treats and teaches to become leaders in their own lives. I thought, you know, that's the kind of thing I think you're talking about. That's where it levels up this concept. Wow. Yeah. So uh, do you ever get any businesses that are hesitant to bring you on in, in storytelling or rather they don't see the value of it? No, they don't hire me if that's okay. Anyways, but, <laughs> right. But are there other businesses that you've approached and thought it might be a good fit? I never approach anybody okay. um, because I think that's they have to be ready for it. They have to be ready for it. No, it's not that, you know, so great that I just overrun with work. I'm not. So my phone number is... Um, <laughs> But I think they have to have a sensibility around it. Right. And those that are calling and those that I go and do work with, they've seen it, they've heard it. The CEO, I had a CEO over in Southern Cal um, three weeks ago sit through the entire uh, one-day workshop that I was doing with his um, is it a healthcare business, with his R&D folks, his marketing folks, and he was such a big believer in storytelling that he sat through and did the whole thing. So I think you're seeing more and more of that now. They're starting to go, oh, we're not just a, a blathering brand out there that we have to connect on a more human level. And story is a way of doing that. Why don't other companies do what <coughs> the auto company in Canada did? Uh, I think it starts uh, with the origins of the owners. It's, it was in their hearts. They're like, okay. And they've been in the auto business before, so this was not something new to them. They had seen a lot of friends and family that had gone through this. Um, and so they said, well, what if we could get them back on their feet again, but use this as a learning tool to show them how to get their act together with their finances? And so they started doing this, and it started working. And the other beautiful thing about it, from a business standpoint, think how smart this is. Centauri, I just send you a car, not that you're deadbeat, but I sell you a car and, and, 
and I just sell you something and I want to get as much money out of you as possible and you default after four months, then I got to go and pluck your car out and my revenue stops. I've done no good for anyone. So that's a really bad business decision. And yet, that's what a lot of the subprime lenders do in vehicles. He's like, no, man, I'm actually going to lend you a little bit less, but I want to make sure you make that payment every month because it's great for my business and it's really good for your credit. Right. So it, it's, it makes such business sense, but it also drives the brand too. And it's all about helping that individual and their vehicle to, to financial freedom. So. Makes sense. And that's awesome. Um, I would say that from my perspective, people don't do stuff like that because it's hard. Yeah. It takes hard work to <laughs> do a three-hour class instead of just putting somebody in a car and having them drive off your lot. And yeah. It just takes hard work and it's consistency. Getting- Something deeper driving them, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you look at, you know, Avine, she came in, you know, again, back to Adelante Healthcare. They did the hard work of going through the process, the hard work of arriving at that story, the really hard work of taking it to their board of directors and getting them to buy into this pivot, if you will, um, and then the hard work of getting everybody on board, but she knew in her heart that that was the right way to go. And she's, you know, but she's also so amazing that she tells the story of, of finding herself. She's a medical doctor too. You know, she's running this hospital. Finds herself around in a in a conference room full of MBAs and realizes she can't speak their language. So what does she do? She goes and gets her MBA. Brilliant. I mean, come on, <laughs> that's like superhuman. Right. But that's the way she is. And she's a beautiful person. I mean, to sit down and talk to her and you didn't even know this background about her. I don't think you would even, I think you would think she was an artist or a ballerina ballerina or something. I don't know. She has just such this calm demeanor about her, but she's so brilliant. And I asked her, I said, how do you get it all done? She just goes, a really good schedule. (laughs) There you go. It is hard. Sintari could probably tell us a little bit about that. I've got all these notes that I, I wanted to sort of touch on and circle back on. I think that you talked about how it's really impossible to, to fake it till you make it. Mm. You really do need to own it. And I completely agree with that. I found myself in positions throughout my career where I was sort of faking it. And I did not find a lot of the success that I was hoping to find until you really sort of internalize, this is the value that I bring to other people mm. and, and, and the impact that I can have. I'm concerned somewhat, and maybe it's just I'm a little bit older now and I look at the younger generation and I say kids these days and it's very possible <laughs> that my parents said kids these days. I wonder if, if there is a, a little bit of instant gratification going on here where it's going to be tough for young people to find their passion because it does not just click on for people, right? Yeah. I, I heard a great piece of career advice from, um, from a gentleman named Cal Newport, really smart guy, you should check him out. He said, find your impact first, find what you're good at, become an expert in it, and then odds are you'll become really passionate about that work. Hmm. You're going to sort of pay your dues though, right? And maybe yeah. be in a crappy job and then find, yeah. find your way into something that you really like. Yeah. Well, let me say one thing, going back to that idea of fake it till you make it. I don't, I don't discredit that. I actually think you got to fake it until you make it, but fake it in your right story. So it may be you want to live into this really incredible story. You don't have any experience at it. Go for it. And that means you're going to have to fake it as you go. I think what, maybe what you're talking about is faking it, living the wrong story. Mm. So I'm totally the wrong story, faking the wrong thing. And that, that, that's, you're absolutely right. That's trouble. But on the other hand, fake it until you make it, I think, is a key ingredient to success. Look, you guys are just starting a podcast like I did a year and a half ago. 
dude, we were all faking it. I mean, I was surrounded by some really good people. Jay Bear helped me really, and his team, Kelly Santina and Lisa Leffler, helped me pull it together, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But, you know, you, then you get on a roll and you go. So I think there is always a place for us to do the fake until you make it, but make sure Fair. that you're making it in your right story. Now, that second point, kids these days, I'm older than you are, George, so I can say <laughs> it. I don't think you're old enough to really pull that off yet. You gotta have some drool coming down your front, and, you know, some lunch on the front of your shirt. I'm faking yeah. until I make it. <laughs> I don't know. I think that the biggest thing, the biggest challenge, parents, and I was in this group. We did was gave the crappiest kid on the shittiest soccer team a trophy mm. to participate because yeah. that's just not the way life is. God, they gotta stop doing that. You know, it's like, I don't know who the hallmark of the trophy company was that created this idea that everybody gets a trophy, but it was brilliant for the trophy business, but it was horrible in teaching our kids grits and passion. And, you know, you got to earn everything in this life. And when they get out of high school and after college and we told them how wonderful they are and you can do anything you want to just work hard and we meant well by all that stuff. But, you know, they get in their mid-20s and 30s and they get really disillusioned, especially off on the heels of the recession, that, man, the gigs aren't out there. They're not just being handed to you. You have a ton of competition and you better be willing to show up early and stay late. Right. And, and I, you just don't see that work ethic out there. So it's, it's interesting. I don't know. It's not, they're not, you know, all that way, but I think there'll be a real rude awakening and maybe it's in this next four years with mm. the millennial population in that, in that they got to have some grit. They got to have some accountability. And they got to own their story. What are they really good at? Plays to a concept, this, this idea of abundance. You hear abundance all the time. And the fact of the matter is, we live in a world of abundance. You know, there's a million consultants now in business storytelling. So I'm a commodity. You know, you work for a really fantastic uh, nonprofit, Social Venture Partners Arizona. So sorry. Well, Social Venture Partners Arizona is a commodity too in the Absolutely. world of nonprofits. Right. So it comes down to, you know, on an individual level, is we all have to figure out, to your point, George, what is the impact? What are we really uniquely qualified to do because we love doing it so much that we will put in the 10,000 hours to be the best at it? Um, and then figure out what that story is and start building your own brand story around that. And mm -hmm. I think probably the whole business is just helping some of the millennials figure that out, let alone the rest of us. Right. Yeah. I do this um, presentation on intergenerational workplaces and it's, you know, looking at, it started with uh, the Arizona Bar Association was seeing a lot of their, a lot of turmoil in law offices where you had older senior partners and the junior uh, associates that were just not, they were not gelling. And just having an intentional conversation about why, and it was a lot of the perception of that. I would say perception, a lot of it was not entirely true, but the older lawyer saying, well, I put in my time, I put in my X, Y, and Z, so you should too. Yeah. And a lot of the younger millennials were saying, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I, That does not resonate with me, so how mm -hmm. do we have a conversation about what to do? And it's been really fascinating to see um, just how receptive folks were to the idea that millennials, whether you like it or not, they're, they're, they're the next wave of in your law firm, in your business, or whatever mm -hmm. that might be. So you need to understand them more than try to make them conform to your change them, to right. change them. Because yeah. it's, they can change somewhat, but in 10 years, they're going to be your boss. So why would you, like, you should have these conversations now and embrace it rather than push them away. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And, and you know, millennials, they often get a black eye with us, <laughs> older generation. But, you know, they're really smart. They're very talented. They're very big hearted. 
Um, they bring a lot to this world that we didn't bring. And so I think the fact that they have probably more of a social connection, you know, mm -hmm. because they grew up on social media and it's just a different way of looking at things. And I think it's all right that you're not having to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, you know, in a job that you're not crazy about. However, if you want to start your own gig, you're going to work 70, 80, 100 hours a week. And that's the way that you're going to survive in this world. And there's going to have to be a balance to find that work ethic to really push them through. But I think it's an exceptionally smart um, generation. I really do. They're really, I mean, they're fun to hang out with. <laughs> Oops, sorry, or, bat phone ringing. or some leader could emerge that could make America great again. <laughs> Take care of all of these problems. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know what? Trump probably got a trophy about nine feet tall. Yeah. Made of solid gold. Yes. And millions of dollars. Yeah. The dude has a solid gold toilet. It'd be and, stupid. It'd be stupid not to. And, like and, the first and, thing and, I would and, buy. You know, <laughs> the downtrodden, disenfranchised think that he has them their best interest. Right, in mind. Yeah. All right. Oh, but, but I, I digress. digress, don't I? <laughs> so so how does one start to develop their story? from the CEO of a company, or it's my first week, is there a tool, resources, yeah. that, that somebody can do this? Thanks, yeah, you know, um, so I have really now dedicated everything, all my energy is going into helping people tell their stories one way, shape, or form. Um, we've got a website, businessofstory.com, there's a ton of tools there, uh, we do a podcast, weekly podcast, every Monday a new one comes out, and what I try to do is connect story artists from around the world with business leaders and communicators or people just interested in how does this story thing really work? Because honestly, you know, story in the business branding world is kind of buzzword. It's mm -hmm. sort of soup du jour. Every ad agency says it, but I can tell you very few people really understand how it works because they haven't taken the time to study Hollywood and the Randy Olsons of the world that really understand why this stuff works. So what I've tried to do, um, dating back from 2006, where I really started getting a meshed in this when our middle son Parker went to film school in Hollywood and so I studied everything that he was learning um, that I've applied that now this business of story people can go there there are tools that they can download and I've got these 10 questions I got this one form in fact let's go through them real quick your listeners can write these down answer these 10 questions as briefly as possible question number one and have this answer come from your heart this is the personal passion that you know, will actually help drive your professional pursuit. What do you do better than anybody else? Just answer that question. What do you do better? And it's probably like George, you said, it's that impact you're making. It's something you do really good that you can really do well if you focus on that. Number two, ask yourself, who cares? So who's your audience for this thing that you do better than anybody else? Who cares? Number three is, what do they want? And what does your audience want in relation to what it is that you do? So now all of a sudden the story has shifted away from you. It's all about your audience. But in doing that and learning about the audience, you learn a lot about yourself. So you've asked yourself, what do you do better than anyone else? Who cares? Your audience. What do they want? Next question is, why don't they already have it? You know, what's the, or no, I'm sorry. Why do they want it? What's happening in their marketplace, in their life that causes them to, whatever this offering is that you make is more timely and relevant and urgent now than anybody. Why don't they already have it? So what is the, the, what are the obstacles and antagonists standing in the way that then creates an opportunity for you to get it to them? Now the story swings back to you as the guide in this thing. 
How are you uniquely equipped to help them? So what is this talent you have, this foresight, this vision, this energy, whatever it is that you do? What is your superhero strength that helps them to get it? Next question then is, what are you actually going to do to help them get it? So where does the rubber meet the road? What action are you going to take to help connect them with what it is they want that you happen to offer? Um, the last three then are real simple. What does success look like? You got to know when they get it, what that looks like. So you're there to celebrate that success with them. More importantly, then the next question is, what does success feel like? So it's not enough for them to tangibly get something from you, but what is philosophically, emotionally, what do they get? What is that answer there? Um, and then the final question in these 10 questions is, how do you keep them coming back for more? So what do you do in customer service, whatever it is to get them through? Answer those 10 questions, um, and you can use that on your own personal brand. You can use it on your business brand. Uh, what we do with the business of story and the story cycle process is take you really deep in each of those uh, 10 areas so that you really get a workout on understanding. You, you do the heavy lifting to figure out what truly is our story and how do we live into it. But those are you know, the quick 10 questions to answer. That's awesome. Wonderful. I think that... I, I, I'm certainly going to go through that. There's no two ways about that. Um, really, really, really important thing. You know, I, everybody wants this. It's just, just a matter of taking a little time to actually sit down and do it. Self, yeah, introspection. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do it on yourself, so use the forums. There's a lot of free stuff on the website they can download. Uh, but okay. just walk yourself through it. Just answer these questions. And you know, you find it's usually better over beer and wine. You know, okay. Get yourself opened up. Uh, work from your gut. Don't overthink this stuff. And then, uh, George, the next really important thing is once you get that down, is start sharing that story with your friends and family, people that you're comfortable with, and see what they think of it. See if they buy into it. Way off. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's then, like you have no idea about yeah. it. <laughs> who, is this, who, who is this in reference to? <laughs> and then you got to be careful of what advice you take from them. Right. Because you may be right on, but then you listen to their story and what they think your story ought to be. But no, it really is good because you don't know what you know until you start talking about it. You don't know what you know until you teach it. And then you hear it back, you know, coming back from people. And then you go, ah, okay, that's working. That's not working. That's awesome. Well, as our time is drawing to a close, what else would you like to get off your chest? Anything else you'd like to share? <laughs> Anything else about Trump? Uh, no, I'm, I'm covered there. I'm covered. <laughs> For some reason, it, it's, it's irritated me more this week than last. I'm not sure. I think I know why. I think he is my shadow archetype. That, you know, we have these two archetypes, these two personalities. We have this one that we project and we really want to live into. And that's what this whole show has always been about. But we live in this duality world that we always have the shadow archetype that is back there, you know, that is trying to trick us and is trying to do, make us do things that would upset this archetype. So I, when I see Trump, I got to really appreciate what a, what a showman he is, what a, what a marketer he is. He is literally our new brander in chief. No one. And so from a branding standpoint, I admire the hell out of him. But that's my shadow archetype because I want people to use story for good and not evil. And I can only hope he's going to bring some good to this world. Right. I just yes. have my doubts. Right. <laughs> Anything else for you, Centauri? No, just thank you again, Park. Thanks for taking time out of your very, very busy schedule to talk to us about storytelling. Uh, well, my pleasure. I mean, congratulations on your new show. Um, can't wait to hear it. Share it. I've got to get a picture of this craziness we got going right here because, you know, just to... 
Well, just to salute you guys, I really think it's great. I love the idea of the concept behind it. So yeah. go for it. Well, thank you, Park. Um, if you like what you heard, please do subscribe and tell a friend about it. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. <laughs>